You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 261 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. The Bruins defeated the Tampa Bay Lightning 7-3 at the TD Garden on uh, Saturday. And Bridget and Scott, let's jump into the opening shifts. Well, guys, we have to answer the question everyone's asking. Is this the end for Bruins fan banner captain Bill Belichick? No. that, that is that's Really? That's how you're going to start this, Scott? <laughs> that's what everyone's talking about. We gotta, that we gotta was jump the off-air the... conversation, not we, the we gotta... podcast. No, we, we got to... Jump in on the hot topic of the day. I mean, I like this. It's been getting clicks and views for the last 20 plus years in New England. So the skate pod's no different. Right. <laughs> yeah. P- people people aren't going to be able to get enough of it. It's not like uh, every sports show in town is going to be talking about this 24 7. So, yeah. Um, no. So my actual, my actual opening shift is about Trent Frederick. But I'm kicking you off the podcast real quick. <laughs> Let me just hit X on your screen. Oh no! Am I getting fired before Belichick? Yeah, yeah. No, you're getting fired first. Oh boy! All right. So my actual opening shift is about Trent Frederick, who continues to play really well. Scored two more goals on Saturday. Uh, he now has five goals in his last four games. Um, he's up to twelve goals on the season, twenty-one points, and really is just playing the best hockey of his career. Um, he has eleven. So he scores his first ever power play goal, first ever power play point on Saturday, uh, right as the power play was expiring. But he was playing net front on the second unit because James Van Riemsdyk was out. He's uh, has an undisclosed injury. I think he's day to day, nothing serious. But uh, so Frederick gets a shot there and gets a power play goal. All his other damage this season has come at five on five. And he has 11 five on five goals or second one behind David Pasternak for the team lead, like just very productive. And he's doing it, you know, without being on that loaded third line that he was last year with Charlie Coyle and Taylor Hall. And we, you know, Frederick talked quite a bit after the game. Coyle talked about what, what he's seen from Frederick. So we can get more into that, but yeah, just, just off the top, uh, Trent Frederick, just rolling. I want to share a joke that he said after in the in the the interview that we had with him after the game. He said 
he's been in like meetings for the power play before, but so- somehow the first unit always finds a way to score before he gets out there with the second unit. So that's why he's like, that's why this is my first power play goal. Like that <laughs> he is like, I I've been wanting to get out there, but then pasta will score in the first like 30 seconds. And then he doesn't get out there. So He's blaming the the first line scoring on not getting more power play time. Yeah, well, I I, I also asked him if uh, do you keep the puck or anything for a first power play point. He's like, I don't think so. And then he goes, Well, I might never have another one, so maybe I should. <laughs> yeah, no, he'll randomly hit you with like some some funny one liner in there. And Charlie Coyle was talking about how pretty much everyone on the team loves Trent Frederick um, and, and gets along with him really well. But we'll go back to him later. Um, my opening shift has to do with Matt Patra. First game back for him after um, being away from the team for quite a while. He hasn't played a game. This is the first game in 2024 with the team um, after heading out for World Juniors and then getting a little bit of rest on the tail end of that. Um, so he comes back Saturday. He gets two assists, um, both on those Frederick, two of those Frederick goals, um, I believe, right? I think they're both on the Frederick goals. Um and he had a decent game. No, get... one, one was on the McAvoy goal. Oh, yeah, one was on the McAvoy goal, Um, which they thought was a Frederick goal at one point in time, but they it looked like it took a redirection but actually hit the defender. Um, But anyway, so he had two assists in his first game back. Uh, seemed to be moving well. Coach said he looked fresh. Uh, He said he felt fresh when we talked to him after the game. He did take a big hit into the boards, Uh, came out with a bloody nose all stuffed up Uh, with – uh, gauze or something and and came back out and, and like a hockey player played the rest of the game he didn't get a whole lot of ice time but he in his time out there he did do a good job and coach said in Colorado next game uh, he expects him to get more playing time because just because of the way Tampa Bay only had three lines going so he, he had a hard time coach Montgomery had a hard time finding out the matchups that he wanted to put uh, Patra out there against in order to give him the biggest chance of success. So um, nice to see him back out there. He played center, which is something we talked about last podcast. Would they move him to wing? No, he's centering Heinen and Frederick. And I thought the line looked like it was clicking. So for me, I, I wanted to piggyback off of uh, commentary Bridget had last episode about Pashnak and Geeky kind of playing well together. And and last night was another example, just, um, you know, the goal for, for Geeky to give the Brewers a two-goal cushion again in the third period was um, a lead pass from Pashnak and a quick release from Geeky. And, you know, Zaka was involved as well last night with Pashnak. Um, and, yeah, I just think it's 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 notable that Geeky and Pashnak in particular are, are gaining chemistry because, uh, Bridget, you mentioned um, off-air that, like, Geeky was talking about how when you're playing with such good players, it's easy to kind of produce, but it hasn't been easy for everybody else playing with those two players all year. I mean, Pashnak's been producing, but but Van Riemsdyk got the first look with them. The Brus got certain looks at different times. Um, and Geeky's kind of, you know, he's he's taking advantage of his opportunity more so than other people have. And I think my other opening shift that I was pondering as well was going to be just how the Bruins have, the offense has come alive in the last six games. Um, I think it's, I want to say it's six straight games with at least four goals, and they're averaging around five goals a game in their last six games. Um, and so the team offense is there. And, you know, is this Pashnak, Geeky, and uh, Zaka combination um, a key cog in that wheel? Yeah, and I feel like 
one of the one of the other conversations surrounding that line was the fact that Zaka moved to wing. And maybe one of the reasons why that line is successful is because Geeky has been playing so well at center that it's allowed Pasternak and, and Zaka to stay together on the same line while also adding someone of Geeky's size. Um, and he slots in in just in a different spot and Zaka has to move over. So and one of the things that Geeky was telling us after the game was that uh, when you play with two elite playmakers like uh, Zaka and Pasternak, you just really, the strategy for him is really just to get open enough, just to find enough space because he knows that they can make those passes to him. So find a way to get open. A lot of times he's getting open back door kind of sneakily. Um, and he, and he knows that somebody like Pasternak and Zaka can easily make that, that pass to him. And he's been the beneficiary of the fact that those two guys are such great playmakers, not just good goal scorers. Yeah, and we we had talked a little bit about uh, you know Pavel Zaka not putting up a lot of points, even though that line as a whole was playing well. Zaka does get an assist Saturday night, and it was also you know it was a game where it felt like it was coming for him. Like he had some good chances, had a couple one timers from the high slot. He had like a doorstep chance that Vasilevsky made a good save on, and you know I think talk to talk to any player and they'll tell you if you're getting the chances of the goals are going to start coming. So it was, it was that that line produced regardless, but it was also encouraging to see Zaka in particular, getting some chances and maybe being more involved than he had been, you know, the last few games. All right. So, yeah, I kind of want to jump back to Scott to your opening shift and just, and just touch on Frederick Moore and, yeah, I, he's, he's got to be on pace now for maybe just south of 30 goals on the season. Um, 20, 26 goals. He's on pace for 26 goals and 45 points. Yeah, see, Scott's writing the article, so he has all the all the numbers uh, ready to go. Uh, read that, right? Shameless plug. Scotty's writing an article about Trent Frederick. In fact, Bridget already wrote and posted it. it was oh, it's posted. Okay. Guys, go read that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, but to be fair, I think like a lot of earlier in the year, the production wasn't obviously as prevalent as it is now. So if he if he keeps maybe not so much at this pace, but closer to this pace than earlier in the year, you know, maybe he he eclipses 50 points. And and, he, and, and that's just look, I think the bigger picture here is it's coming from a player that we all thought was we all kind of wrote off a couple of years ago. And a lot of people did because he hadn't really produced at the uh, NHL level and didn't optimize his chances in in preseason and was kind of a passenger and then he hit like 23 24 years old and you're, you're questioning what his future is and now at 25 26 he seems to be a staple of this team going forward and kind of exactly what they hoped for when drafting him yeah he's a first round draft pick um and he was a center coming in uh, and he's one of the main things that's made him so successful and and made him become somebody that Jim Montgomery leans on is the fact that he can play either wing or center so, and he's uh, become very good defensively. He's defensively responsible. He was talking about how whoever's the first guy back has to kind of play the center role defensively and that he feels really comfortable with it. So sometimes he just naturally finds himself playing that role um, and, and guys, you know, understand that he can play it well and kind of let him take over that at times. So his versatility has gotten him more opportunities and that's built his confidence. And I think that's really the biggest difference is you see, him playing so much more 
confidently. I know Scott, you asked him about this in the post game and he, he kind of was like, I, I have no idea how to gauge my confidence, which I thought was kind of funny. I was like, he, he's definitely more confident. You can just see it. Um, yeah. And Charlie Coyle said, said, so we had to ask his teammates, like, is he playing with more confidence? And, and Coyle was like, yes, he's, he's, uh, you know, kind of blooming into this confident, uh, versatile player in front of everybody's eyes. Yeah. And, and Jim Montgomery a couple times this week, including Saturday night, has talked about him playing like a more confident player, uh, more poised with the puck, going north more instead of east-west, uh, you know, getting to the front even. He's always gotten to the front relatively frequently, but, you know, maybe a little bit of inconsistency in in the past. And this year it's been really consistent. Um, and, you know, it was interesting. Like Frederick talked about how – you know, he thinks last year he got confidence because he was on a line with Charlie Coyle and Taylor Hall. And he said that, you know, kind of their confidence in him and especially Coyle's who's been, he called, uh, he said, Charlie Coyle has always kind of vouched for me and helped me out. And it specifically made me think of the end of, towards the end of the 21-22 season when, down the stretch and into the playoffs, Frederick kind of started getting moved in and out of the lineup. Um, and, he, and he wasn't playing his best at the time. Like, you know, fairness to Bruce Cassidy, it was getting to be playoff time and Frederick hadn't been producing. And I remember Charlie Coyle at the time saying, like, you know, without trying to directly contradict Bruce Cassidy, was kind of saying, like, I like playing with Trent Frederick and I believe in him. And, you know, it's, it's like... It's, I'm paraphrasing, but it's kind of disappointing, you know, to see him out of the lineup. And like, that was immediately what I thought of when Frederick said that. It's like, that's someone who's just always believed in him. And Frederick said, uh, if it wasn't for CC and Halsey making great plays last year, I don't know if I have the confidence to do it this year with different people. So it's like, he got that confidence with them, with better players sort of helping to lift him up. And he's carried that over into this season even when he's not playing with Coyle, even when he's playing with different guys. And that's been, I mean, these last two weeks have been his best stretch and look at like, look at his line. He's played wing during the stretch. He's played center during the stretch. He was on a line with Georgie Merkula for a couple of games. He gets Potra his first game back. James Van Riemsdyk had been a relatively consistent line mate, but he's out Saturday night. So it, it really like hasn't mattered who he's been with. He's not, relying on the guys around him, like he's stepping up and he's kind of, you know, he's the one driving that third line. He definitely, he definitely has been. I, and I've said this before in, in past episodes and uh, really right along that it's kind of like big brother, little brother vibe with Coyle and Frederick. Um, you can kind of just watch how they interact with each other. And you call him Trent Frederick little. Well, no, he's a big dude, but he's younger. So that's, you know, that's tech, uh, that tends to be what people mean by little brother. Uh, I don't know if you have a little brother, but, uh, <laughs> so Charlie, Charlie Coyle just kind of, you just watch them interact and it kind of feels like they're, you know, that's, that's the relationship, uh, similar to that. And they, they both like off the ice, I've seen them passing a football together or whatever, cause they're both actually really good multiple sport athletes. Um, I think they have a lot that they can, you know, have in common and can relate to each other. So, um, it's Charlie Coyle has been great for Trent Frederick's development, especially because Coyle 
has also been in the position where he's a natural center and can kind of help him help Frederick in that aspect as well. Um, and he, him last season, getting a chance to talk to him, you know, between every shift and during every shift definitely helped too. Uh, one funny thing that one other funny thing that kind of came up in the post game press conference with Frederick was that on that power play goal, uh, someone, someone asked like, were you surprised that you had that much space to make that move? Because he did, he had like the time and space to like completely turn around, stick handle the puck a little bit and then lift it and roof it. Um, and he was like, yeah, I'm a little bit surprised that I had that much time to, to work. But I think that this goes to something that maybe other teams will start keying in on, but he's maybe not defended as closely as he should be. And a little bit, uh, not not sh- hasn't been shown that respect previously in his career. Maybe now he starts garnering more um, pressure defensively because of the the kind of playmaker he's been over the last few games. People might be paying more attention to him, um, trying to block him out of those positions more now that they kind of get a taste of what he can do there. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love. You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and honestly, I don't even think it was a lack of timing that was uh, given to him on that on that goal. It's not like he had a ton of time in the world. He, the puck was on and off his stick in two seconds. Like it, as a defender, there wasn't even much time for them to do anything, especially when you consider the body positioning and, and the way he he angled, reangled himself there. Yeah, maybe maybe the better way to put it is just that they shouldn't have allowed him into that space at all. Like he was in, he he found his way right to the the uh, top of the crease and. He had that that room to stick handle a little bit. So, yeah one one other thing on that goal because I'm guessing we, you know we're probably not might not circle back to it, but really good pass by Kevin Shattenkirk. Um, you know, it's kind of seeing that that lane was open for him to get it down there, and it's you know some someone tweeted at me and I, I quote tweeted it with some numbers, but the conversation about like who's the better power play quarter quarterback Shattenkirk or McAvoy. Brian, are you crying? I, Brian's Brian's no. battling through it on, uh, on the <laughs> Are you crying? No, no, I just, I'm crying because McAvoy is not a, not the PP one we thought he was going to be. 
Um, sorry, to, sorry to cut you off, Scott, but Brian was. I just had to make sure he was okay. It, it was. It was like it was. A, it was a great goal. I, I get it. <laughs> it made me emotional too. Uh, head, head, head. Cold season. Yeah. Crusty eyes. Um, I mean, like I, I've hit, I think we've hinted at this a couple times, but it, it hasn't blown up, and I don't know if now's the time for it to, but. There, there's been a bunch of times this season where I've watched and thought Chen Kirk looks better running the power play. And, you know, now McAvoy scores a five and five goal in this game by getting a shot through, which is great. I think that's something he struggled with on the power play. And I think the numbers back it up. He's, he's had a lot of shots blocked on the power play. And I know in this case, like it wasn't a shot from Chen Kirk. That was a pass. So, you know, a little different, but, um, Shankirk does look good when he's at the top of that second unit, and he's he's looked good at times when he has to, when he has had to fill in on the first unit uh, when McAvoy's been out. So. I agree, Brian. Brian Brian's having difficulty. Brian's crying. Days. Brian's muting himself <laughs> with the uh, and turning the camera off. Um, <laughs> when um, when they're in the zone, right? That's one thing. What is What's the, the the argument for Shattenkirk versus McAvoy in transition on the power play? That there probably isn't. You, you're right. Like that's the strength of McAvoy is, especially when it comes to skating it in in himself. McAvoy's just a better skater, so he's going to have that speed to better back off a of defense. So you're you're right. Like that's absolutely yeah. a fair counter. Because I was well, I mean, and I wasn't even trying to be. Uh argumentative because I, I I agree with like the end zone um, puck movement and getting the pucks through. Um, and, and cause I was saying to myself, I was like, yeah, well, if that's the case, why wouldn't they uh, give Shat and Kirk? Yeah. Look? And I, you well, well, what, what should they value more though? Like, wouldn't you say that valuing the end zone stuff is, yeah. you, you, can, you should be able to rely on other people to transition the puck. Like people yeah, aren't. And especially when you consider that like your power plays are going to start with an ozone face off, like hopefully you win that and, and it's not a thing, but you know, obviously transition is, is, is a factor. And um, yeah, and, other people could, but it starts with that first guy back there. Yeah. And, and there's also the, the player management aspect of it. And, you know, not, not that like, I think Charlie McAvoy has a big ego or anything, but he's a star. He's your second highest paid player. He's an alternate captain. If you move him off the top unit, no matter how you spin it, that's a demotion. And no matter what McAvoy would say about it, he would see it that way. So that's also something you have to take into account. We've talked about that with Brad Marchand in the past. Like there's been times where it's felt like the power play slows down when the puck gets to his stick and you're like, ah, like he's got to move faster. He's got to be more aggressive getting into the net, but it's like, but you're not going to take Brad Marchand off your top power play unit. Like you're going to let him work through it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of surprising that McAvoy hasn't improved at getting shots through in the power play. Cause it's kind of been something alien for a couple of years. I mean, Krug's, don't look now, but I think Tory Krug, it's like his third, it's the, their third or fourth season without Krug at this point. And McAvoy's had the the reins for the majority of it, besides Grizzlick here and there and Lindholm here and there. But you, you'd think by now he would have improved at getting that, getting those shots through and not being so indecisive uh, back there. Um, but because because he has everything else, you know. And yeah, and that being said, he did score not on the power play. But he did he right. did score uh, against. Well, sometimes him. sometimes and, and, and was a plus. And Andy was a plus four, I think, for the mm -hmm. game. But so, um, at five on five, like sometimes there's less 
there's less time so you're not even you don't have as much time to, to overthink right that's that's on the power play he has the time and space and that's when he gets into trouble some for some reason but in any event uh well, do you want to stick to to d here for a second because uh the lot li like lineup changed a little bit um in terms of d pairs laura was out of the lineup weatherspoon came back in so it was weatherspoon shat and kirk was the d pair um for you know that that changed uh what did you guys think? Whether I think Weatherspoon played well. I mean, I every time I see him come in, he's he's quiet. He's not super noticeable, but that's really what you want him to do. Um, and he he does make plays along the boards. He's he's bigger. He moves guys out from in front of the net. I think he played the exact role they wanted him to play yesterday against Tampa Bay. Yeah, I agree. Like I think he's looked pretty solid for the most part. I think that's why he's stayed up, and you know. Ian Mitchell's the one who gets sent down because especially with Forbert out, we, we've talked about this, like not that Weatherspoon's an exact one for one replacement, but he brings some of the things that you miss when Forbert's not there in terms of size, stability, strength, you know, not like the most physical guy, not like the hardest hitter in the world, but brings some of that. Um, you can use him on the penalty kill, which helps you know, it helps you maybe avoid a situation like the previous game where Brandon Carlos in the box and you end up with Lorai and Grizzly together trying to kill off the end of a penalty, which those guys both have killed penalties and they, they should know how to do it, but you put the two of them together and it's, you know, it's two guys who don't always do it and they end up with a miscommunication that leaves a guy open in front. So yeah. And it's um, one guy that's small and one guy that's young. <laughs> so it's, kind of not yeah. an ideal uh penalty killing pair yeah and, and just last and should just be noted that lori we believe was out almost entirely because he had to have more dental work done saturday he was on the ice for warm-ups but uh i think there was an element of him you know not really feeling very great after getting more dental work done scott can you just explain that a little bit what do you mean the dental work? Well, obviously, so he took that puck to the mouth Thursday. Um, or was that Thursday? No, that was Tuesday, right? He's, yeah, I think. Or I don't know. I'm mixing up my games. But, yeah, he um, he had already had some dental work done. He did play Thursday, but limited minutes. He had to go in Saturday to get more done. So, obviously, you know, we don't know the exact nature of it. But, sure, his his mouth is still still not feeling great. and. You know, that's, I think, the primary factor in why he didn't play Saturday. You're you're not a hockey player until you've had your dental work done. Your first uh, your first dental work, uh, you know, missing a tooth at some point in time in your career usually. So uh, he's he's got that out of the way, hopefully. Mm. Um, it, Brian, did you have any comments about the No, game? I think I think Scott kind of touched on the, the water spoon. Um, so then the other thing is to talk about like players that were out of the lineup. Um, like we mentioned, Laura, I was Johnny Beecher did not play. Yes. Revolquist got the call up uh, and Georgie Merkeloff was sent back down to Providence. What do you guys think of all of those different factors? Well, I mean, I, I think, yeah, like we said last episode, I just think there's a lack of identity in the fourth line and it's pretty evident because it's just uh, it's it's musical chairs right now. Um, 
I, I feel like bringing up Boquist is probably similar to bringing up Merkulov as far as like giving him a, you know, um, a, a pat on the shoulder, like good job down in Providence. Here's a little taste. No, Boquist has NHL experience, right? So it's not like he's probably not as elated um, for that exposure. He probably feels like he should be there. Um, but I mean, that's the one thing I like last episode, I was, we were talking about the Merkulov thing and how I said, I just, they brought him up and I, and, he went back to Providence. And I feel like I had more questions than I did before. Um, the one thing I will say was a good thing about Merkulov being here, and Scott touched on it too, was the fact that they at least gave him a chance to show, like, if you work hard, you will get a chance. And last week I was saying, like, you, like you have to at least do that because you, you have to help, you know, manage your assets and your players and and let them know that their hard work isn't for naught. So I do agree that, like, at least that aspect of the Merkulov call up was was beneficial. Um, Boquist being up, I, I don't, again, I just feel like it's just giving guys different chances here. Um, was Beecher scratched for, uh, was he a healthy scratch or is he injured? As far as we know, healthy, we, there haven't been any reports of him dealing with an injury. Yeah. yeah. And, and to like kind of go through some of Boquist's numbers. So this was his third game, technically his third game up in Boston, uh, he had 15 shifts, which is the most shifts, and he had 11:22 of ice time, which is the most ice time he's had up in Boston this year. He had he had one shot that went through. He also had a few shots that went high. Um, the funny thing was, well, coach was asked about how he played, and uh, he said someone said Boakfist's name, and he didn't even recognize what the name was, and he was like, "Is that how you say that?" And he goes, I just call him Jesper. I'm like, that, that's not easier, Remember, really. Um, that's a flashback to last year. Didn't didn't Montgomery start the year, like, not knowing people's names last year? Yeah, he said he didn't know that. He said, I didn't know Smitty's name was Craig until, like, this right. week. And then he was like, <laughs> someone said Connor. And he's like, who, Cliffy? Uh, he didn't know. He, doesn't, he didn't know their first names. He just knew them by their nicknames. So, uh, well, yeah. He's also, he's, he's just not great at names in general. Because, like, there's also times where he'll reference guys like by number and you can like tell in his head, he's trying to match up number to name because he's so used to just looking at it in his notebook or on the whiteboard or wherever, where it's just listing numbers. So um, yeah, but uh, I, I thought Boak was played pretty well. Like it was the, it was the first time he actually got like regular shifts. I, I know we had talked about the last time he was up, he played like four minutes. And I think got benched midway through the second period and didn't see the ice again. So he actually played regular shifts and I thought played pretty well. It was the first time we saw him at center. I think he had played wing each of those other two games. So, um, yeah, I mean, you saw a couple times where his speed looked like it made a little bit of a difference. Uh, it, from what I could tell, I think he did the defensive work that you need a center to do. Um it still it still feels like they're definitely trying to kind of just throw different things at this fourth line and hope something sticks or maybe part of it is you mix different guys in to try to jumpstart the guys you want there because I think you know Montgomery still wants you know Loco Beecher Steen to kind of be regulars and you know again we've talked about when they're fully healthy maybe it's a Heinen who gets dropped down or something, but um, yeah, right now they're, they're clearly trying different things, trying to get something going there. I thought Boca's played pretty well. I don't know if he's going to 
stick there any sort of long term. I would imagine Beecher gets back in there Monday, but you know, I guess we'll see. All right. And for for Bridge, I did want to circle back to yours unless you had final thoughts on the fourth line. Because yeah, it's just it's just a work in progress ultimately. I mean, I think yeah, I thought I thought Bocas played well also. Um and and like again, when they when they signed him, we were kind of like, oh, he could be an interesting potential third line op, uh, pot, uh, possibility. And then you know he, he's in Providence all year, so it, he clearly has uh, upside and in, in NHL uh, talents. So it's good that they have that option. Um, but Matt Potter gets back in the lineup, Bridget, and and that was your opening shift. So I'll let you take that away. Yeah, and to tie those two things together, Matt Potra got a little bit less ice time than Jesper Bokust uh, in that game. So um, he's still kind of being eased back in. And part of it did have to do, like I mentioned earlier, with the fact that Tampa Bay started the game dressing uh, seven defensemen. So they were down a forward. So they already had like a weird situation with their forward lines. And then they lost a forward during the game. So then they were really only down to those three lines. Um, and Montgomery said that was a big factor in matchups and, and usage of, of Patra. Um, I'm really happy to see that he was playing center. Um, and I know we talked about how early look, we're going back like over a month here now, but him getting that, having that built in day off and, and built in rest to try to make sure he's, used to, or like get, get him acclimated to an NHL season with so many games. Um, obviously at juniors, he was playing back to back days a lot of times, but the fact that Canada exited early might've actually helped him in terms of coming back to Boston, because obviously he gets back sooner, but he also gets a little bit of extra rest in between. So I think the, the plan to the original plan was probably not to play him Saturday assuming Canada actually made the final, which they didn't. Um, but I think it, it all worked out okay for Potter, even though I'm sure he would have liked to play for gold. Uh, he's happy to be back in Boston. And I think they put him in the role. They did put him in the role that he was most likely to succeed in, which is center. Um, and with Frederick playing as well as he is right now, maybe that lifts Potter up as well. Yeah. And also good for him to get a home game in before they go out on the West. Well, I guess technically not the West coast, but Colorado, Vegas, um, you know, that's, that would have been even tougher if it's okay. He flies from Sweden to Boston gets maybe, you know, one practice in there and then fly three more time zones out West. Like that would be tough. So did probably work out, even though he was obviously disappointed, you know, he's talked about how he's going to, try to use that as, as motivation, you know, what you hear from players a lot after a tough loss like that, like you want to do whatever you can to not feel like that again. So um, by the way, to kind of tie, tie three things together here, the lightning went down to 10 forwards because Trent Frederick landed a hard, clean hit on Tanner Janot that knocked him out of the game. Tanner Janot had, as he always does, you know, runs around, looks for big hits he was the one who landed like Patra. the forearm shiver to Patra's face. So again, like not that you wish injury on any on anyone, but you like seeing Trent Frederick finish a hard, clean hit on that guy. And, um, mm. you know, even if it doesn't knock him out of the game, puts maybe, you know, a second thought in his head of like, Hey, if 
you're going to run around and take shots at our guys. We're going to do the same to you. Yeah, that that hit at, on Patro was scary for a second because you see him bleeding and he's coming off the ice and you couldn't really see at first that it was his nose. It looked like maybe he had like a slice on his cheek or something like that. And also wondering, was it like a serious head injury when he goes down the tunnel? But he came back fairly quickly once his nose was plugged on. And like I said, we talked back the game. I asked him how he was feeling. He said he was fine. So um, shouldn't be out at any point in time because of it. But um, but yeah, I don't know if you guys had had anything else about Patra. I, I did want to plug that later on in this week, uh, later on this week, we'll have Peter Sibner from uh, Elite Prospects joining us on the podcast to kind of go over a little bit of World Junior stuff and some of the prospects, including... Patra, some of the guys from BCBU, uh, some Bruins prospects, just different things that relate to the Boston area in terms of uh, prospects who are in college and in the case of Patra, somebody who's already in Boston. Uh, but I mean, you, you guys are like me. You like to look at the prospects a lot. You like to watch college hockey. Um, we're tied into you know, local hockey in terms of college as well. And, and uh, even now the PWHL. So. Yeah. And also a shout out to team USA. They won their sixth uh, gold at world juniors beating Sweden. Was it seven to three? And it was, yeah. you know, it wasn't even, it wasn't even um, much of a game. It was kind of start to finish USA kind of had control. Um, you know, people will talk about how Canada didn't have some. Fantilli. Um, and maybe uh, who's the kid for Buffalo? Um, Benson, maybe Benson. Yeah, Zach Benson. I think he's of age too, but it's like, okay, well, they weren't there, and that's Team Canada's problem, not you know, everybody else in the tournaments. But, um, yeah, that was a you, you mentioned, uh, the, the, the scouting Bridget, like that, that just popped into my mind. But, um, on Patra, um, you guys kind of hit it, I, I think. Yeah, I mean, Tanner, you know, that's the second time this year that a Bruin has kind of greenlit him. Charlie McAvoy had probably his best hit of the year down in Tampa Bay back in November on Juneau. Um, I guess a, a question for me from uh, for you guys is just, yeah, uh, Tampa Bay is a team that's been in the dogfight for the playoff positioning and obviously a ton of high-end skill. And by all accounts, the Bruins match that intensity. And, you know, it's for for a team that's, offensively deficient uh, as we talk about with, with the Bruins it's relative to the rest of the league they're offensively deficient compared to last year but I mean as I said earlier they're averaging five goals a game in the last six seven games and um, you know seven goals against Tampa Bay this Bruins team might be able to score more than we gave them credit for and I think the emergence of Trent Frederick is one reason they're, they're scoring more of late Jake DeBrus is getting hot that makes sense uh, Morgan Geeky is continuing to produce so like this is when everybody pulls on the rope, this is what can happen, but everybody has to keep doing that. Yeah. And you know, Tampa, it's, you kind of saw like the good and the bad of what they're doing this season, which is like Nikita Kucherov blows you, blows you away. He was excellent. A goal and two assists. The Brian, I, I figured you would have, brought up Hampus Lindholm getting turned around by now with, you know, the, well, the constant, I would, I would Hampus hater, but I would have, but he, uh, he at least had a nice, actually, you know what? I'm thinking of last game that passed the passion act. That was against the Penguins. So yeah, you're right. What was Lindholm doing? <laughs> <that one? laughs> he did have two assists in this game too. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, that was just a filthy play, though. Like, I, I don't – there's not too many NHL defense when you were, you were making a play on that. Kucherov with the speed coming at you goes, goes through the legs. And then yeah. backhand right through the seam to Braden Point. And In- yet – sorry, where like where I was rounding out to you with this, even with Kucherov having those three points, he was a minus two for the game. Like, the Lightning are giving up a lot of chances this year. Teams are – yeah, like those guys are going to get their points. Kucherov, point. You know, Hedman's actually having a little bit of a down year. Um, you know, Stamko's still good, if not elite anymore. But that they're not deep. Like they're they're not getting the support from other lines. Their defense is a been not very good, and b banged up. Mikhail Sergachev and Eric Chernak both out right now, and even when with Vasilevsky back, like. He can only do so much that they're they're in trouble. I mean, they're outside of the playoffs right now, and they, I think, really have an uphill fight to, to try to get in because it's they are totally reliant on Kucherov and their top guys, and I don't know if that alone is going to be enough for them. Yeah, and just to put it into perspective, the kind of season Kucherov is having, he has four more goals than Pasternak, who feels like, I'm watching Pasternak score every single time we're at the garden. Um, so Gutrov has 28 goals, uh, which is kind of crazy. And, and Pasta has 24. So, uh, and you see that he can just make those nasty plays still. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's a tough one to defend. So Brian, I'm guessing that's why it didn't come immediately to mind. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, to that point though, um, four goals more than Pasternak. He's also leading the NHL in points with 67. Kucherov is, and then Pashnak has 50. Yeah, to your point, Bridget, like Pashnak has 55 points, and every single game he's like got a multi, multi points for, for Kucherov to have 11 more, 12. How many points does he have again? Um, 12 more points in Pashnak. That's just like, what? So, yeah, it's impressive. So, I'll give Lindholm a, a, a pass on that one. Yeah. Well, and the, it's funny because at the game, uh, against Tampa Bay when Pasternak scores it's like the one of the thoughts that went into my head is like even any fan like coming to the garden like he's just a treat to watch like no matter what day it's just like you you're selling tickets I mean the team's good but like people want to come see Pasternak like, he he's having an, another incredible season and he you're always gonna see something fun from him, even if the Bruins lose. So obviously the last night was an exciting high scoring game uh, with a lot of goals and, and a lot of opportunities. Uh, but Pasternak never makes you regret buying a ticket to go see the Bruins. Yeah. I mean, Pasternak's on pace to, to top his point total from last year. He had 113 last year and he's already got 55 through 38 games. Like he's, He's not quite on 60 goal pace again, but we've, we've talked about, you know, him having more assists this season. Like it, that was, yeah, that was just a great show. Like both teams, but also like the Pasternak Kucherov duel of those guys, just making high end plays back and forth. And there's like a little something there between them too, because they've mixed it up in the past. And Pasternak at one point in this game went out of his way to finish a hit on Kucherov. Um, so it, it's great. Like it, it's just great entertainment. Yeah, especially where everybody seems to be best friends nowadays on on 
opposing teams, it's good to see some some rivalries between yeah, Russian, Russian guys tend to not be friends with people on other teams, just uh, historically. Well, and but... specifically with Czech guys, like that's definitely yeah. rivalry. It's like an oh, Eastern okay. European rivalry there. Yeah. Um, so Tampa Bay clearly, you know, they're 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 not the cream of the crop in the Atlantic Division uh, right now. It's it's record wise, it's Boston, but you know, I would argue that Florida is playing some really confident hockey right now. Um, they're on Boston Seals, and Toronto is always you know right there as well. But if we're talking style style of play and and um, and playoff pedigree. Uh, you know, Florida's a team to beat in that comp in that that division right now, in my opinion, um, until somebody does because they they are the Eastern Conference champs from last year. They beat Boston last year and Toronto last year in the playoffs to get there. So, um, you know, it's it's the Bruins can't control anybody else besides themselves, but it is good to know in the back of their mind, um, like they they have to keep building their game and 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 they've given themselves leeway um not so much from florida but certainly for a playoff spot um and it's 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 a it's a constant reminder that like this team is going to be there in april and you're going to have to get through them and you're going to have to beat them at their at their own game which is not nothing more than just hard work really like you have to outwork florida and um if they meet and i think that i think that this time last year the bruins just had no adversity at all throughout the regular season, except for a couple of injuries to begin the year. Um, this year, and I think Brandon Carlos spoke about it uh, after, was it the Pittsburgh loss maybe? Um, that adversity is good because it's going to help them in the long run. And um, that's why anytime there's been a bump in the road this year, I haven't really, you haven't really heard me get too angry about it because I, I think this team needs the, uh, these hurdles to be better suited for playoff style hockey. And no matter if they stay in first place this year, they just need to keep playing. Um, just blue collar hockey and it's going to look at uh, Florida. That's the only way you're going to yeah. be. Yeah. The good news is that last two games, they did have that fight and you could see it like in that Pittsburgh game battling back. Um, they never gave up. They fought and fought. And so there was kind of positives to take out of that game, even though ultimately they lost. And then you see something similar against Tampa Bay. I felt like a full 60 minute effort, uh, which, you know, that hasn't been the case the whole season, but, uh, you see him putting a few together in a row and you're thinking this team, you know, has figured out how to deal with some of these things that maybe last year they didn't get put through. Yeah. Florida's just rolling seven straight wins and they are right now they're wrapping up basically the exact same road trip that the Bruins are about to begin. Uh, they started in Arizona four one win, go to Vegas four one win last Saturday night there in Colorado eight to four win. And then they wrap up with St. Louis Bruins play those exact four teams over the next week. So you can kind of get a little bit of here's what they did versus these teams. Let's see what the Bruins do. Um, You know, now it's possible Florida also maybe jolted those teams to life, gave them a bit of a wake up call and, you know, the Bruins see a better effort, but um, yeah, really impressive what the Panthers are doing right now. Yeah. They have that effect on teams. The, every every single every single night you uh you check the like the league highlights or what or what's going on in the league like you'll if you if I don't know how your guys' YouTube algorithm works but every time I go on YouTube it's it's like a hockey suggested video or something like that um and it's always like it's all the thumbnail always seems to be like Matthew Kachuk and Sam Bennett in some sort of net mount scrum 
that's like every team they play, every building they go into, they just they get under the skin of their opponents. It's just it's who they are. It's, it's their DNA, and, and that's not going to change at all. So um, I'm sure the Bruins know to expect that based off of last year. But um, yeah, Florida's the real deal. I think that you know they're a good team, and yeah, it'll be fun. They'll, the Bruins have to earn everything that they get this year. Yeah, my my YouTube algorithm is hockey plays and Harry Styles music videos. So, in case you're wondering, what's your yeah. share for the class? Ho- hockey and Bruce Springsteen old concert footage. There, see. Very good. Good place to wrap. Good place. Yeah, I think so I think so. You guys, you guys have anything else, Scott? You want to plug anything for the week? Uh, no. To tune into Wei Midnight to Midnight for uh, Wall to Wall Bill Belichick coverage. <laughs> That's Midnight to Midnight. Okay, you could just say twenty four hours. You know, um, yeah. Scott, are you going on as an analyst? Uh, yeah. The, we're we're going to talk about his uh, fan banner captaincy from uh, okay, yeah. Final. Yeah, it's a, it's a big part of his legacy. Yeah. Well, I'll believe it when I see it. So. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, you're right, Scott, though. This is, I mean, honestly, if if he does get let go or goes elsewhere, I, I think there's been a lot of times over the years where the Patriots have had 24-7 coverage and it's been unnecessary. I think this this one actually probably deserves it. There's a lot There's a lot of meat in this bone, so. Whereas earlier this season, no. Right. No. Yeah. Finally, we're getting to something that's big, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? They better lose. They better lose. I hope so. By the time people are watching this, it'll already be over, but. I want that second overall pick. Like, come on, guys. I know. Just, it does them no favors to win. They have I, to I feel like Robert Kraft should say to Bill Belichick, if you don't lose this game, you lose your job. <laughs> Find a way to lose this freaking yeah, game. I mean, it's, unfortunately, it's tough, to, uh, it's tough to throw a game without being obvious. That's the problem. Put Mac Jones in. Yeah. Done. You can't. And... I mean, like, I, I won't preview, but like, it's also probably almost certainly Matthew Slater's last game, and you know, think think guys guys play hard for him too. But yeah, yeah, fast fascinating times in Boston sports. Um, Montgomery would be if Belichick gets fired, then Montgomery and uh, Joe Mazzula move up to second uh, for longest tenured Boston coaches, and that's two years. Okay. Yeah, at two years. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that wraps up this episode of uh, Six Rings in Football. I mean, um, <laughs> a podcast. And uh, enjoy your work week, and we'll talk to you soon.